Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by Planet Fitness. Hey, Black, it's 2020, and I am so motivated to work on this dad bod. I bet you are, Deck. I think Planet Fitness is the perfect place to do that, considering how much we travel. You're right, Black. I couldn't agree more. They have more than 1,800 locations nationwide with some of the cleanest spaces we've ever worked out in. Yeah, and don't forget the friendly staff and unlimited free fitness classes. So head over to their website today, planetfitness.com, and join us in making 2020 the year we rid the dad bod. Hey, Deck. Where do you see yourself in five years? Chasing greatness, like our guest this week, Gary Brackett. No doubt. His story definitely has several layers of adversity. I think UDP Nation will really enjoy learning about how he won with football, business, and life. Our guest today really needs no introduction. Entrepreneur, motivational speaker, and Super Bowl champion, Gary Brackett. While we will definitely discuss his accomplishments and instinctive leadership qualities, Gary had to overcome the unimaginable, losing his brother, father, and mother in a 16-month span. Gary, take us back to the beginning of your NFL career. So I, I, I uh, entered into um, the draft. Obviously, I was a free agent. And my first season with the Indianapolis Colts, um, I think we went on like a 6-0 winning streak. Uh, then we lost. And um, after that game, I get a call from my sister um, that my father lost his life. Um, so that obviously was very painful. My father, someone I was extremely close with, he was a Vietnam veteran. Um, so he suffered from, you know, some of the, um, effects of the war and, and, and some of the things that was happening on over there. Um, but you know, he's someone who was always proud of me. So something that really, you know, hurt at that age. Um, I think, uh, eight months later, um, uh, my mother uh, went in for uh, uh, a surgery, hysterectomy, and unfortunately, um, she had a stroke and recovery, and uh, ended up not making it. So very painful losing, you know, my father and my mother in that six month period. Uh, then at that point, my brother was diagnosed with cancer, um, and it was just, you know, painful. All, everything coming to you at once. Um, funny story, my brother. Uh, we looked a lot alike. Uh, he was three years older than me growing up. Um, so I'd always tell a story. Uh, essentially, when he turned 21, I turned 21. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> amazing to have an <laughs> uh, ID. You're 21 when you're in high school. Uh, uh, you can let your imagination run wild. But, um, yeah, so, you know, he was diagnosed with cancer. So I actually, um, during my second season with the Indianapolis Colts, uh, during training camp, I had to take off to go home and give him a bone marrow transplant. And um, unfortunately, um, a year later, um, he didn't make it. And he 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 died as well. So um, yeah, sixteen months span, I lost my father, mother, and brother, um, and it's very painful. And um, you know, for me, ultimately, I found out that you know, regrets and playing a victim, um, I don't think they that would have made them proud. I think what makes them proud is how I live my life every day. So I, I think the best way you can honor the dead is how you live your life. And that's what I've been doing ever since that point. Yeah. And, you know, obviously that's something no one wants to ever have to go through. I mean, like I said in 
early on, it's it's unimaginable. Um, but you know, it sounds like they were able to see you fulfill your dream. And I know we'll kind of go back and talk about, you know, your career as far as how you've progressed and gotten to where you are. But um, talk about that, you know, that early on excitement of being able to, to uh, you know, pursue your, your dream, um, obviously being a walk on at Rutgers, but then getting to the NFL and, and being able to pursue your dream and to have your parents there with you and your brother um, to witness, you know, that you finally reaching that milestone that probably no one um, ever assumed that you would, you would reach. Yeah, no, nah, it, it was great. I mean, it was, you know, I, I, I've constantly been told I was too small and not fast enough, you know, <clears throat> and all of that. But um, I just kept on persevering and, you know, I, I was just someone who was um, extremely smart. I think I played the game from the neck up. And that gave me opportunity to get uh, picked up as a free agent by the Colts. And like you said, I mean, and, um, everyone was ecstatic. It's funny, though, when I made it to the NFL, I got a sign-up bonus of $2,000. And I thought I made it. <laughs> um, the challenge, the problem was I spent 1400 before I actually got to Indianapolis, right? I had to rent a car. I had to go home and get my Social Security card. You know, obviously, I got to buy some new clothes and look like I made it, right? So um, I'm doing all day. So 1400 thinking like, okay, I'm going to go to school. I mean, I'm going here and get a check for 2000 Well, they took taxes out. And um, I, I immediately, you know, was in the highest tax bracket all of a sudden. So they gave me a check for 1200 I'm like, what's this? <laughs> what's my 2000 bucks? <laughs> and uh, they took out, you know, obviously, Suda, Fuda, and, and everybody else. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty funny, pretty eye-opening experience, you know, um, about the NFL uh, day one. Wow. Now, you, you talk a lot about, um, you know, I, I saw an article where it talked about, you, you touched on your, your father was a Vietnam vet. Um and was kind of like more of the drill sergeant. Um, what was your childhood like with your parents? Um, your mother was more of kind of the supporter where your father was the drill sergeant. What was it like growing up in the Brackett household with a father who was a, who was a war vet? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I think um, some of the habits, man, in terms of, you know, waking up, making your bed, um, you know, on time is early, um, being neatly dressed, being respectful. Um, I think all those things were obviously very positive, but, um, one of the things, and I think this, this is not me. I just think as the era in, you know, the eighties, nineties, when we grew up and I think we went probably to the extreme in 2000, 2010, we're at now, but I mean, that whole affection at the home, that whole love unconditional, I don't think we grew up in that era. Uh, and for me, it was like one of those things, like we're going, we're going to love you through tough love. Right. And we're going to show you not to get too big on your britches and show you that, you know, um, to work hard for everything. And I can remember I came home from a game. I had like 14 tackles and uh, two two touchdowns. And um, so he was like, what you have today? I was like, 14 tackles, two touchdowns. He was like, no, you had three and two. I'm like, what's that? He was like, no, you had three missed tackles and two fumbles. And I'm like, what? I'm like, <laughs> that, like, what are we talking about? Um, but then I can hear him later on on the phone bracket, bragging to one of his buddies uh, oh man, you should have sent my son out there today. He was killing him. Um, so it was just that funny type of thing where he, he wanted to keep my ego in check and keep me humble, keep me always, you know, w w with some with some hunger to go out there and work hard. Now, Gary, um, being a former walk on myself at Miami Ohio and uh, earning my way to a scholarship myself, I had to 
kind of utilize some of those things growing up, kind of the blue collar mentality, would you reference, I mean, all of your perseverance through the adversity of not getting a scholarship, going to Rutgers and then not getting drafted kind of walk through. I I love that. I I think there's a lot to go on with being the underdog. uh, Hence why we started our podcast is kind of that walk on approach for myself, for my piece of the podcast. So kind of walk us through maybe that mentality as a walk on, and maybe that stuff that your dad and your family helped develop in you to overcome, you know, getting that scholarship and then making the Colts. Yeah, no, nah, I think um, the walk-on mentality is a real thing, right? That underdog mentality. Because um, essentially you have less reps to do more. Um, and and in, in the interim, you have to take a lot of mental reps and you have to learn why everyone is out there doing. Um, which sometimes is extremely difficult. And sometimes a lot of people use excuses that, hey, man, well, I'm not doing it, so I can't learn. And um, I, I believe by this notion, if you stay ready, you never have to get ready. Well, well what do I mean? Well, as a walk-on, I was always ready to become the starter. So I positioned myself. I watched film. Uh, I worked hard at practice. I studied. And if my number was called, I was going to go out there and perform. Where even, I mean, you guys own an, an employment, uh, uh, you know, our staffing agency. And, you know, so many times, you know, I'm, I'm, I employ 400 people. It's this notion that, hey, give me the job and then I get ready. Like, no, I, I know I can learn it. Just give me opportunity. And and as an employer, I, I really want you to be ready before I give you the job. Um, so I think the walk of mentality, like I would never dare go to someone and be like, hey, give me the job. I think I could do it. No, I'm I'm gonna show you I could do it over and over again, and then when you give me the job, nothing's gonna change because I've been doing it my whole life. No, absolutely. And then sounds like obviously, and nice uh, nice homework session on us. We really appreciate that. But the um, how you translated your your um, opportunities and that walk on mentality to business, as you said, I heard you wrapping off Suda and Fuda and all the fun things of being an employer. Um, talk, I know I'm probably fast forwarding a little bit through, we'll, we'll go back to your college days, but as we're on this topic, kind of, you know, hit on that as well, how you translated your, um, athletic abilities and discipline to business. It's, it's funny. Like when you see reports on the media and other people shut up and dribble, shut up and tackle, you, you know, you're just an athlete. But the thing is, you're not, you're not just an athlete. You're, you're the top 1.0.08% of anyone who ever did that in the world, which make you an elite high performer. So I looked at myself not as a middle linebacker. I looked at myself as a chief defense, defensive operator. And my ability or my job was to communicate the game plan effectively, um, measure KPIs, you know, third town efficiencies, missed tackles, mental mistakes. Um, and then it was to train you know, um, people that was under my wing. So I think when you look at it from that standpoint, um, being a captain or a leader on a professional team is similar to being a CEO in business, um, communicating the game plan, measuring KPIs, and make sure that you're staffing up and you're training and leading people. So I think there's a lot of similarities that if you just have the right mentality to use those skill sets, um, I think you you'll be served well if you're a professional or not even professional, just athlete, period, um, that perseverance, that's hard work. All those things is what it's going to take to be successful in business. Hey, no wonder, real quick, I know Calvin's about to ask you a question, but no wonder this guy's up in front of 
people speaking and I'm about to run through a brick wall. <laughs> One, we had a C on his chest and still doing great things, man. I'm sitting, I got to stand up now. No. Got us going. Now you did talk about, or maybe I think I read where at one point though, you did not necessarily have that mentality. And, um, I don't know if it was a teammate or someone said to you, you know, you, you might've said, um, looking to hoping to get a scholarship. And they said, you know, don't just look at trying to get a scholarship, you know, look at becoming a starter. And when they, when that comment was made to you, kind of a switch went off. Is that correct? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So funny story. So um, I actually, I was a walk in a college. So my, my parents refinanced their house twice. Um, so third year, um, the bill comes and my father calls me like, hey, son, um, the, the, the bill is here. And I'm like, all right, pay it. Like, what are you, what are you calling me for? He's like, hey, <laughs> I can't, I can't pay it. I don't have any, we, we refinanced the house twice. There's no more equity left. Like you got to come home. So obviously heartbroken. I'm like, dang. So I went and told my coach, hey, man, I, I don't have a scholarship. I got to go home. So he was like, what? Like, you're my second teamer. Like, you're a special teams player. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, hey, I'm not, I'm not on scholarship. So he was like, I'm going to talk to the head coach. No promises, right? Because as you know, walk-ons always try to stick up the, the staff. Like, hey, man, I'm about to leave. I can't, I can't afford it. So they're always fi fighting that. So I get it. But this was true. So um, they actually uh, uh, talked to the, to the coach. And the coach, the next day, he brought me into the, uh, the head coach's office. And the first thing he says is like, hey, um, I just want to let you know that um, we're going to recruit players that are bigger and better than Gary Brackett. And I'm like, what? I'm like, come on, bro. Like, you you, you break it up with me now. You're going to tell me you're you're going to date guys that are, you know, uh, the cuter and, and with more money. And like, come on, like, I, I'm good. Like, I'm just about to leave. Like, I, I wish you all the best. He's like, nah, man, but but you work really hard and you give me everything you got. And that's all I can ask for. And, and if I'm honest with you, I wish I had 53 Gary Brackett's. He said, and for that, I'm going to give you a scholarship. So I'm like, oh, man. So, right, so I'm I'm crying, tears in my eyes, just me and him in the office. I hug him. And, like, he feels uncomfortable, right, the awkward <laughs> hug. Um, so I leave out, right, I call home. <clears throat> my parents, man, they're, they're ecstatic. So I go in the right room, and I have already, like, high-fived everybody. Like, hey, man, I'm getting out of here. I got my Hyundai Excel hatchback, you know, sky blue, filled to the brim and everything I own. Um, it, it, shook, it shook after I did 55 miles per hour. Uh, but that was my baby, right? I was about to hit, the, hit home. So um, so everyone's making a commotion, and this is one of those team lift days where the whole team, offense, defense, is is all in the weight room. So 90 guys. And um, making a commotion, and, and this guy, Wesley Robinson, he comes to us, and he's 6'3", 245, 6% body fat. He just looks, you know, like, like amazing. I, I always laugh and joke, and I hope I never run into him. But I always say that uh, he looked like Tarzan and played like Jane, right? <laughs> uh, he could, he never really could figure out the uh, the mental aspect of the game. But he comes to me, he's like, "What's going on?" I was like, "Hey, man, Wes, I got I got a scholarship, man. I get to stay." And he's like, "Scholarship, man, you should worry about starting." And at that moment, I'm like starting. I like, man, I I just had like 30 meals for the semester. Like I used to sit outside the dining hall and wait for I saw someone I knew so I could go in and get a swipe so I could get a meal so I can like you know portion out my my 30 meals for the whole semester. Like you talking about a scholarship? Like I just want to eat. Um, but that night I went home and I and I lost sleep and I was just like, damn, what man, the starter? Like what would that have to be? Like what we have to do, and I, I just like he was like, all right, and this, and this, and we all like have this conversation with ourselves, right? And we ultimately we make a deals with ourselves. Like I, I want to have a thriving business. 
and then you're and then you're gonna respond to yourself like, okay, this is what you need. You need to read. You need to go to conferences. You need a mentor. You need to invest in yourself. You need to become a better leader. And, and so for me, it was like, hey, I want to be a starter. I was like, all right, you want to be a starter? You gotta start getting up early. You got you gotta stop eating bad food, right? You gotta start, um, you know, take the supplements. You gotta start working out to your max, like when every single day. Never, never have a bad rep. You got to start watching film. So all these things that my mind kind of told me what I had to do. So I did it. And that kind of changed my mindset forever. And it's really is amazing. It's like whatever you ask life, life is was more than willing to give you. But you but you got to be willing to pay the price. And and like when I'm coaching people, a lot of times, you know, we, we typically get our life what we settle for and, and we get whatever whatever bet that is. So the number one area I try to coach people on is just raising their standard. Like, how do you raise your standard and get better every single day? And if you do that, then all your goals and dreams could come possible. But first, you got to raise your standard. Now, let me ask you this, and I want to go back a little bit because that's a mic drop, I think, what you just said. Um, but <clears throat> you were not recruited coming out of, out of, out of high school um, and it wasn't until, you know, like you said, probably halfway through that this mindset kind of kicked in. What was it because you were in love with the game or did you have any doubts about even wanting to go off to college to play football? Because if you decide not to go play, we're not having this conversation right now, you know, and you're not doing the things you're doing. So what was it about, you know, not getting because something said you were uh, as tall as you are wide or something? You know, there was a one, I guess, something probably along the days you were recruiting because you were, you know, a shorter guy, but, you know, thick stature or whatnot. What made you say, I want to go ahead and pursue football and Regardless, I'm going to go earn whatever I can earn and show people that I'm able to do this at the highest level. Yeah. So the the crazy part, like in high school, like I dominated. Uh, and But we played for a group one small school. Um, but I mean, I was a kicker, the punter, the running back, <laughs> the linebacker. You know what I'm saying? Um, <clears throat> and was crazy. Like, so my head coach, he didn't do me any favors. He sent out my senior year playoff tape to get me recruited. So most of the teams that came to see me at, at college was like, I, I, like I, didn't, I didn't see your film. I saw I was watching another kid's film and you kicked his butt. So I'm so I'm here to talk to you. Um, and, I, and I would have those conversations. And um, and the challenge was like back in the day, it was like I think it was like 13 core credits. And um, I had like some electives and like like no one even at my school even like like sat me down like yo you need these 13 core credits so so we had no idea at all even like what classes i should take so when it came down to it, it was like oh you got 12 core credits and then we had the one of my classes that were electives we had to like petition the the ncaa to make it a core class well but well if, if that if i didn't get that then i wouldn't have been eligible so now you got this kid who's undersized and not even eligible so like college is looking at that like I'm good, right? I'm I'm not interested in this. So in addition to me not having any film, you know, um, I just didn't have the court credits until they, they did it later on. So, um, but in terms of like me playing football, like I've always been confident in my ability to, to actually play football. Um, and, and again, like I, I never really focused on nutrition. I've always just, you know, ate and, and, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Um, 
Um, but now, you know, obviously with the training facilities and YouTube, we didn't have access to that. So, you know, you ate whatever, you know, was on the dinner table and that was it. So, um, but yeah, man, I, I, I really love football. And I, and I thought that you know, I was good enough just every year, you know, one or two guys would make it to a division one program and they'd be the kid that I kicked his teeth in during the game. So I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like if he can make it, I surely can make it. Right, right. Yeah, and that's a lot of the stuff in your 2011 autobiography that was forwarded by Tony Dungy was outlined. And, and once again, I just love that story. And now, right, is um, you have a movie called Bracket coming out, which really detailing kind of the journey from the streets of Glassboro, New Jersey, to the Super Bowl. Obviously, it wasn't paved with gold. You know, the grit, guts, and determination um, and how you've won in life and in football and, and, and now in business. Kind of talked us about bridge that now from the autobiography to the movie. I'm really, really curious and want to share with the listeners kind of everything that you're doing with with your movie that's going to be coming out. Right. So, so it's a little premature. The movie isn't quite complete yet. What we did is we shot a promotional trailer, okay, like a proof of concept. So then that we can go and raise monies uh, for the movie. So right now we're raising money um, through an investment platform called WeFunder, where people could go in and invest for as low as 110 dollars they can become an investor in the movie bracket and then um if you go to bracket.movie that will show you what we put together in terms of a trailer so when you look at the trailer it makes it look like yo this is a movie when does it come out but we shot it in a way that looks convincing just so we can have that proof of concept um and it's funny like here in indy this week we're actually um i've rented out a movie theater and we're showing a 30 minute version of what we shot so uh still raising funds on WeFunder. The goal is to um, obviously raise funds over the next 120 days. Um, um, I think the movie is going to be like um, a little over $2 million. So we're raising $1 million on WeFunder. <clears throat> we have another partner in town raising money. And then we can go to the banks and some other people to kind of raise the last trench be before we go off and shoot. Um, but really looking forward. And, uh, to, and to your point, it's like it, it's an underdog story. And it's one of those stories that people overcome. But in addition to all of that, I mean, you look at every great football movie, the Any Given Sundays, the Blind Size, the Rudy's, all phenomenal movies. But none of them really had like a real climax. I mean, they had climaxes because Michael Orr made it to the league. Rudy got in and made a tackle, you know, invincible. They went to the playoffs. But like I legit like went to a Super Bowl as a free agent and won it as the captain and led the team to tackles. So you're talking about like a like a improbable story of an underdog who actually made it. I think that's why the story is so compelling. And for me, my job is just to inspire others that they can make it too. Because I'm not the only one that ever been told that I couldn't do something. So I just want to encourage everyone else that ever been told they weren't good enough, they weren't fast enough, strong enough, smart enough, um, just to, to inspire them, encourage them that now nah, you could do whatever you put your mind to. Especially, and in, in, in amen to that, brother, but the metrics and analytics and size and all this stuff that's in, in, entrenching into all the sports, not just football, but I think a lot of these kids, because I volunteer at a local high school, are still looking at all these metrics as the 100%, hey, my, my pave way to Division One football or to the NFL, and there's still a heart that you got to measure, right? And and then the commitment to the craft. And, and so, I mean, can you speak – you already kind of spoke upon that message, but anything you can give to those kids that might be listening uh, or high schoolers, you know, trying to go to the next level and say, Hey, there, there is a, 
a mental and a, uh, a commitment to the craft piece of it. That's part of it. Not just metrics. Yeah. I think the intangible piece and, and not only that, man, I think what I really recognize, um, <clears throat> now, well, and I did back then is like, we, we have a society who misunderstands what leadership is. Mm-hmm. And I say that because all of these talented kids in, in any sports in high school, they're the best player, so they're automatically named the leader. Right. And a lot of times, they are the farthest thing from a leader. And their team suffers because they are the leader. They don't listen to their coaches. They think they've arrived. They don't, you know, it, the, the rules don't apply to them. And it's challenging for that person to be a leader, but you can't really blame them because they've never been taught properly how to lead. They've just been told, hey, you're the captain. You're the leader. And, and they know what's been modeled for them. So until that behavior changes and people start understanding, no, your job as a leader is to serve. And it's to serve people that are under your flock. And until like the kids really understand that, and those are tangible things such as leadership are far more greater than your, your 40 time. Mm-hmm. Um, your height and weight, um, th- those intangibles are going to scream out on film and, and, you know, people's referrals about you and, and things like that. Those are the things that are really going to set you apart. And, and so many people are focusing on the wrong things. Now you played for one of the greatest coaches, uh, in my opinion of all time, Tony Dungy, who has, you know, since retiring, you know, become, you know, a prominent leader, um, and in the community, you know, an author, and obviously, you know, you, you heard stories about how he led, what would you say are some of the commonalities of some of the, you know, best, um, leaders or professionals that you've worked with? And I know you've kind of touched on a little bit, but is there any more thing, anything else you can maybe add to that? Um, you know, as far as some of those commonalities you've seen and maybe that you've even taken now into your professional career? Yeah. So one thing, uh, leadership is about serving. How can you help others? Uh, we were talking earlier. Um, I, I have a, a, a corporate office. I call it a support center for my franchisees. So, you know, be, being a servant leader, that's one. The next thing is a trait that I really think is um, like really, really sets you apart is the ability to be coachable. And, and the reason you, you're coachable is because you can't see the picture when you're inside the frame. In addition to that, a lot of people have this misconception. Hey, if I ask for heat, if I ask for help, that's a sign of weakness. I'm never going to ask for help. But really what I figured out and what the greats figured out, that asking for help, you ask for help not because you're weak, but because you want to remain strong. And I, all the, the Hall of Famers that I played with were some of the most coachable guys. And not only were they coachable, they demanded to be coached. Edger and James demanded to be coached. Hey, well, how about my steps? You ain't even looking. Hey, take a look right now. How are my steps? And he would demand his coach to, to coach him because he wanted to be great. And he knew he couldn't do that by himself. He knew he needed others. And and, and that's really a, 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 a mark of a champion when they look outside themselves and say, no, I need other people on my team because in order for me to be great, I need some, someone else watching my blind spots. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm just listening to this smile and ear to ear and Calvin, like starting this business and running it for the last 11 years, I'm, I'm looking for those traits as well. Like you said, it's, it's, I'm sure you've been frustrated. <laughs> it's not always easy to find those in the, in the employment business, but there is, there's a lot of great people out there, but to find those people 
that want to be coached, like you said, that want to be self-aware of their weaknesses and always be a learning leader, as we often talk about, is not always easy to find. Um, so how, how are you doing? I know you have a great restaurant business, uh, bracket restaurant group, I believe, with different restaurants like Stack Pickle, different ones. You know, How are you growing those um, in, in finding those people that want to be coached and be leaders? Yeah, f- first off, I just believe in in um and people build brands. So like, it's not called Gary Brackett Stack Pickle because I I don't want the business to be about me. I want it to be about the Stack Pickle and the people that that are there with me. Um, a few things how I find good people. One, good people tend to hang around with good people. Um, so we we have an active referral source where we we, we reward our GMs for recommending other managers that bring in. Um, I, I have this saying to my general managers, um, I'm going to give you the budget. We're going to discuss what the plan is for the year. Those are the goals. Now, I am um, stubborn about my goals and flexible about my methods. So what do I mean by that? My goals are what are our KPIs? What are our food costs? What are um, you know our drink costs? What are our pork costs? What are our labor numbers? All those things are non-negotiable. We got to hit those. Now, how you get there through your personnel, what's going to serve you best is having the people that are there for you and, and people that are your people. Like if I if you miss it, if you lose an assistant manager and I hire you one you, like you didn't take them through the thought. I, I would rather you I would rather you interview them first and then you send them to us and then we interview them to approve them because then, yes, you're a guy and you took ownership in that. Cause you, and then you care. So then, you, you know, it, it's this whole notion that I've learned um, sometimes in business, um, you, you know, people think the number one rule is to establish blame, right? And, and it's easy to establish blame. Like, I didn't hire that guy. You hired that guy. It's your fault. It's like, no, no, no. Let's not establish blame. It's, it's, it's not us versus them. It's, 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 it's us versus us. Like, we're all in this together. How can we help one another? Um, the second thing I noticed, and this is key. Sometimes you have a, a, a employee that's a, a B employee. Now that B employee can either go down to a C, right? And then you, you have to fire them or, or you could potentially pull them up to an A. Now how you get them there is through training. And so I think too often, you know, I, I'm with general managers and they're like, hey, that system manager is not doing that well. I want to get rid of them. And then and my first question, did you, did, you, did you talk to them? Did you tell them they're not doing it that well? Did, and then secondly, did you show them exactly what you wanted them to do? Did they agree that they're going to do it that way? So there's these things about these assumptions and expectations that people put on other people and they never get met because they never explain properly. So and I tell like this isn't a pop quiz. Like I want you to know exactly what the answers are because I want you to get the answers correct. So I'm not going to guess you. Uh, let's see. Let's see if they know what to do. No, I'm going to teach you what to do. And then you're going to teach me what I taught you. And then I'm going to have confidence that you'll be able to do it on your own. And I think going through that process is how we've been able to keep people for a long time. And those people have been able to, you know, grow and, and bring other people on that are like-minded just like them. It's no different than your Edger and James comment, you know. I'm going to show you how to do it, and then you do it on your own and show me that you can go out and get it done. I mean, like you said, it, business and sports, the, 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 the way they correlate is – I might just sell the job center to Gary right now. <laughs> I might just be done. Like, dude, just go work for this guy. Obviously, no. Um, one thing I did when I was doing a little bit of prep, I, I I admired that you in one of the March Madness, one of your restaurants was short of three people, and you went out and were cleaning tables and distributing food and helping the staff. Servant leadership, I think, is something I've seen through uh, everything I've looked at inside of you. 
Um, how does that play into garnering your team's respect and uh, what, them wanting to work hard by seeing you lead by example? Man, I think, um, I don't know. I, I think I, I laugh and joke like when I'm at my speaking engagements, you know, I have a, a you know, NBA, Super Bowl champion, father, husband, all these accolades. But at the end of the day, what I do is GSD. And that's to get stuff done. I was gonna say, and this is like, <laughs> it is like, it, I, I, I don't know if this is a rated R. You podcast can cuss all you want, yeah. get shit done. Uh, I got it for you. Get it done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, but but and, and then so many times, you, it's funny. You see, you know, people like I see trash in a restaurant. Oh, let me let me get someone to get that. No, no, you can actually get that. Like if you don't, I will pick it up. <laughs> it's trash. Like every time I go to a bathroom, one of my restaurants, I, I've learned this thing where. I take out some paper towels. I wipe down the sink because they're usually wet as hell, right? So I wipe them down, make sure it's dry. And then the paper towels, what, what they do? No one pushes them down, right? So you have all these paper towels overflowing on your trash. So I actually then go push the paper towel down to the bottom of it, make it clean, make sure everything else is clean. And then I scrub my hands. And then I leave the restroom. And it's like, wow, like you cleaned the restroom? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, why? Because it matters. Because our, our restrooms matter. Our, our Like our parking lot. That cigarette, but it matters. And why it matters because everything inside of our restaurant tells a story. It tells a story on how much we care. Well, if they don't pick up the cigarette butts in their parking lot, they don't clean their bathrooms, they got dirt underneath their booths, what, 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 what does the kitchen look like? And and I don't want people to have that assumption, so I try to be proactive. I also prevention is worth more than a thousand pounds of cure, of a cure, so I try to be proactive as possible in getting stuff done on the front end to to kind of curtail you know some of the negative ramifications that can occur if if they haven't been done. Now, I want to take us back because I, I love what you just said there. Uh, and so for those listening, you know, as you said, you you've got a lot of these accolades, and you know when you got done playing, you know you've it's it's no secret that you know you went through a kind of an aha moment and i think the quote we saw was your son asked you you know what are you going to be when you grow up um and is that kind of when the light went off to when you said you know what like your wife is i believe a doctor um and she Mm -hmm. was she was doing her thing and you kind of looked around and said all right you know what like the plan days are over you know what's next what was that what was that transition point like for you when you before you kind of really took off to go out and get your MBA and become a successful entrepreneur. Yeah, it's a 31 years old, you know, uh, nine years in NFL, uh, made great money. So, you know, everyone tells you, you retire when you get finished with NFL, right? Especially nine year career. And it was my daughter. I'm coming home from a, from a, a golf course um, with a few adult beverages, right? My wife is, is uh, working her third 16 um, hour shift in a row. And my daughter is, bye, mommy. Oh, man, I hope I can see you tomorrow. Um, you know, she just finally caught her because she didn't see her the last three days because she's been working her butt off. And when she wasn't working, she sleep. And she looks at her daddy with golf shirts on um, with, with hot dog stains on his shirt. And it's just like, you know, daddy, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, And it's just like, what? <laughs> um, and then it's like, um, definitely need to change this narrative, right? So um, so then I, I went back to school and I got my MBA. And I tell her the reason I got my MBA is because I feel like we all have this toolkit. And for um, all of us, um, we get into this rut of using the same tools over and over again. And sometimes that doesn't serve you because for me, my tool of choice was a hammer. Um, and the challenge with having a hammer is every situation looks like a nail. Um, 
And that's extremely difficult when you're a business owner, when you're an employee, you just can't mush your way through conversations. Do this or else. And the employee, or as what? I'm gonna call HR. Like I'm gonna go down to the to, to employment department and sue you. Like what are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? So it's just like you have to be able to handle um, situations differently. So going to school really gave me the ability to sharpen some other tools in my tool kit, and uh, you know I can use them at different times. Nice, nice. No, and I think that 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 speaks volumes because I say that all the time. Um, you know. I run our, uh, I do a lot of our internal hiring and, and our training. And that's when I, one thing I tell people, you know, they come anytime you start a new job, you're nervous or whatnot. And I tell them, I said, I'm not going to teach you everything in one day, but I'm going to give you a toolbox, you know, and this is what you're going to have. You're going to have to at different points, you know, throughout your day or throughout your career, you're going to have to pull out a different tool based on what is needed at that moment in time. Um, and until then, you know, once you figure that out, you know, you're going to continue to have to go back to your toolbox and, and try to continue to evolve as, as a person and eventually a leader. So I love that metaphor. And obviously, Gary, um, you've done a lot of great things, as Calvin said, post-NFL. Something I wanted to touch upon is your work in the community. Can you touch upon, um, you know, the foundation that you have and the work that you do in the community as well? Yeah, so the foundation, Gary Brackett's Impact Foundation, um, uh, we spoke about uh, earlier on how my brother was diagnosed with cancer, and I actually became his bone marrow um, donor. Um, and in the hospital, I saw so many patients affected by this disease. <clears throat> and I was like, man, if I can affect, you know, one of these people, you know, that'd be amazing. So after we won the Super Bowl in 2007, I started a foundation called Gary Brackett's Impact Foundation. And we help critically and chronically ill children um, with some programs that we work with, with the hospital, with a locker, with a tenor heart pro program, with the Field of Dreams program. We take them to picture games, coach games, and off to some amusement parks. Um, and then I've I noticed, you know, just to help with just underserved community in general. So definitely been helping that area. And it's amazing when I started, you know, like I said, I just want to help one person. And um, to date, um, we helped over 100,000. Uh, people right here in Indianapolis. So um, definitely been able to make a huge impact because um, I saw something before and it was like, you know, at, at some point in time, everyone's going to forget that I, that I played football, forget that I won a Super Bowl. But when I stand up and speak, everyone's going to know whether or not I'm educated. And then when people speak about me, they're going to understand the impact that I made on the world. And those are the things that really drives me and that are important to me. Uh, one, remaining educated, being a lifelong learner, being able to give back, not only in, in that way, charitable, but now with this knowledge, you know, being an infopreneur and having, uh, being a coach and having, you know, courses and stuff like that, that I could walk people through uh, learning some of these things that I've learned, championship framework, mentalities, um, understanding accountability, time management, you know, things that really set you apart. But then more importantly, you know, that that impact that I, I, I funny, I look at this story of the greatest sports, um, you know, story of all time. Right. The, the greatest sports moment is a Michael Jordan scoring 63 in the garden. Is it Reggie Jackson hitting three home runs? Is it Peyton Manning and some of his 50 plus season wins and some of his six touchdown games? And for me, it's, it's this horse uh, secretariat. And in the uh, I think it was in the Kentucky Derby. He had this um, race where every length of the race, there's four lengths, he ran faster than the length that was previous. 
And I look at my life that same way that every length of my life, I want to be faster than a previous one. Well, how do you do that? You're older, you're slower, you're 80 years old. How do you live faster? And that's that impact piece. That's me like touching the world through my knowledge, through my words, through my work, um, that I made the world a better place. And then that inspired others to make the world a better place as well. And that's something um, I found really, really interesting with uh, Kobe Bryant and his Mamba mentality of how we um, followed that in his second leg and his after post career. And I think anyone that's listening, you know, go follow Gary. <laughs> you know, this guy is speaking just unbelievable or truth and just engagement as far as how to build a business from how to succeed in life in general. So really love uh, what you're doing. Um, how do, uh, or before actually I was about to say, how do the people follow you, but we want that as well. But before we get there, I almost forgot the, the hot, hot seat section. We have a quick rapid fire. I like so, to rattle off a few questions, man. Uh, sometimes they're hotter than others. Um, I don't believe yours, <laughs> yours aren't too scorching yet. So, um, what would you say is the most enjoyable part uh, about being a father? Oh man, I think, um, you know, they don't, your kids don't count wins and losses. They they just, they just love you for who you are. So no matter how much you fail, your kids are still going to love the, the mess out of you. Like it. What is one takeaway or the best advice your wife has ever given you? Uh, <laughs> man, that's, that's, that's daily. <clears throat> uh, um, you know what? Um, I think it was my wife uh, and, and with like a coach that we see. Right? I, I believe everyone should have some couch time, some counseling time for yourself, for your spouse. But one of the things that was really helpful for me early on in my marriage, right, because men has the tendency to want to want to solve the issue. Right. You know, the whole um, you have a nail on your forehead. Right. It's the nail. Um, and sometimes women don't want that. Right. Sometimes they just want to vent. So I think for me learning to ask her like when she's venting hey do you want me to put on my thinking cap and and help you with this challenge or do you just want me to listen and that's really help in our relationship because if you want me to solve something then you know i'm gonna look at things logically and you know ask for numbers and kpis and metrics and um but if you just want me to listen i'm like hey i, I could just listen and, and have some empathy but I, I'm not going to try to solve this for you. They might have I to come to, to marriage. Me, me and my wife, Chris, might have to come to marriage counseling. Yeah, bracket Gary Brackett marriage counseling. <laughs> <laughs> the, the next business. Man, it's, it's, it's still under construction, my brother. Yeah, <laughs> All right, we can construct it together. <laughs> Speaking of, of staying on the female uh, train here, per se, girl, hashtag girl dad that's come out. I know you have a daughter, if not two. I know you have three kids, I believe. Um, yeah, two girls and two girls. So kind of what's your favorite girl dad moment, man, there's so many of them, man. My, um, my, my girls are like full of life. I, I, we have like an Instagram page, them crazy brackets. Um, and, um, I think this is something happened recently, right? So my oldest is 10, she turned 11 in March. So she's like in the TikTok. That's her thing. So anytime she's it's quiet, like she's on TikTok dancing, doing a routine <laughs> or something. Um, so she's in her bathroom, like um, she's in her mirror, she's doing a routine, she's focused and concentrating, and I'm in the back, like dancing, right? And then um, and then she like turns around, like seriously, daddy, and then she like hunts me down for my phone. But it's uh, I think we just have a great relationship, man. I just try to keep a light with them. Um, and 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 as a father, I think um, it's challenging. 
<clears throat> I think we should teach our kids about failure um, earlier and on. Um, and what I mean by that is like so many people have this adverse relationship with failure because our whole lives we've been taught, no, no failure is bad. Doing that is bad. So for me, I'm just like, you know, especially I could get away with this. My, my wife's a doctor. She's not home in the evening sometimes. She works too, uh, too late nights. So the kids want to do something. I'm like, oh, try it. Like, I know it's not going to work, but go ahead. I want you to see it. And then they try. I'm like, daddy, it didn't work. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I could have told you that, but I, I'm, I'm glad you saw it for yourself. So now you can stop doing it. And I think, you know, that experience is, is priceless. <sighs> Love it. Uh, I mean, the, the hashtag girl dad thing has been, as we know, it just, it's, it's been a movement here, of, of, unfortunately, of late. But I think it's something that's powerful that I think we, we definitely need to continue to carry on. And I don't want it to die out, you know, as we remove, get further away from the events of last week. So uh, and I appreciate that, man. Um, last question. What drives you today? still to seek excellence or as we like to say, sustain excellence, you know, what do you see kind of Gary Brackett in the next three to five years? Yeah, it's funny. I, um, <clears throat> I was asked by a, a, a teacher, like, like, um, when I was maybe in, in, in eighth, ninth grade, like, like, who's your hero? And I was like, I don't know. I never thought about that. Let me, let me get back to you. So next day I came back. I'm like, I know I'm my hero. And then she was like, what? She's like, yeah, I'm out here. Three years from now, I'm going to be my hero. So then she saw me senior year, like, yo, did you do it? Are you your hero? I'm like, not even close. Like, like when I go to college and graduate, that's when I'm going to be. That's going to be my hero. And she, then I came back and graduated college. Like, did you do it? Are you your hero? No, not even close. Like, when I get farther. And, and for me, what drives me, this ability is chasing greatness. And chasing, and, and I look at greatness as this thing where it's not between me competing with anybody else is me competing against the best version of myself. And how can I consciously chase that by, you know, handling tough decisions by living my life for, pur for purpose and just having a positive attitude. And if I can implore that on others, you know, I, I'm doing my job. And so that's why I'm, I'm just chasing myself and this version of myself that I just think is green and, and it can exist. And I just have to keep on working my tail off and make sure I get there. Well, you're on that path, brother. And uh, dropping knowledge nuggets on us today has been unbelievable. So really appreciate your time. And as we conclude, I think there's no better way. I think you support our mission at the underdog almost better than anyone we've had. And to quote you, say, what better way for an underdog story for someone who was not supposed to make it, was not supposed to be there. That resonates with so many people. That's you know concerning your uh, movie bracket that you're 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 working on right now. And um, we can't appreciate your time enough. We know you're so busy, but you are the epitome of the underdog. And I mean that when I say it. And and it really supports our message and our motto to inspire to others that are are, are kind of counted out or not supposed to be there. And, uh, we really appreciate your time. And with that said, how do, how do, uh, folks engage with you and follow you and, and support you? Yeah, now, no, um, so the book winning from walk on the captain of football and life is on my website, Gary 
Also, information on how you can support us via WeFunder. Uh, if you want to invest in the underdog movie and become a movie producer alongside of us, you can do that as well. Um, for speaking engagements, if you have a company that has different type of annual conventions or anything like that, I'm looking for an uh, inspirational, transform a transformative speaker. I don't think myself as a motivational speaker. I think motivation is fleeting. I want to come in and give you tools and tips that you can add to your toolkit that you continue to live a successful championship level life. So that's how you can hit me up. And then I'm on Gary Brackett on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, IG as well. Well, I can speak for ourselves. We're going to get engaged. We're going to, we're going to not donate. We're going to invest. That's the right word into, yeah, into, into your movie. Investment. Yeah. You, you fit our, like I said, we believe not only you're doing great things, but we're definitely uh, love and would love to see your movie fully produced sooner rather than later. So uh, you can count us in on that. And as your story progresses, we'd love to stay in touch and um, best of luck and continue to keep inspiring others and, and driving forward for greatness. All right, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, yeah thanks. No Appreciate problem, it. man. Definitely. Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free T-shirt. See you next week on the U. DP.